Do you know anything? <laughs> wow, rude. I don't know. It was just a reflex. See, I'm sorry. Don't cut that. Or it's will I? Or will I? Scary girl. The other things don't make you look bad. I'm adding in so many fart noises this episode, then. You're adding in fart noises, and just every now and then while we're recording, you're going to go, Stephanie, oh my God. Oh my God, did you just fart? Give yourself spaces to add the fart noises. (laughs) Well, thank you for the idea. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, everybody. Hey, everyone. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And this is. Dead Time Stories. A weekly podcast where Sarah and I get together to talk about ghost stories, true crime, mysteries, cults, conspiracies, the supernatural, paranormal, or even just the generally weird, eerie, spooky, strange stuff that we want to talk about that week. Why is that, Sarah? Because it's our show and not yours. Oh my God, Stephanie, did you just fart? There it is. There it is. She's going to try it. Well, in case she cut the part at the the beginning. I'm the queen of sound effects now. Where I was like, you're just going to ask me throughout the podcast if I farted and then add fart noises. And she was like, thanks for the idea. If this is your first time listening to the show. Please stop. stop. Please. I'm begging you to stop. And go back and start at the beginning. beginning. Grumble Thorpe to my mouth a little bit. It's the first episode. Then you'll understand. You want to listen all the way and catch up. That is the way to go. All the fans will tell you that's what you do. And then you get here and you go, I can't believe I caught up. And you start all over again. So you want to have that fun lifestyle. You want to live that experience. Go on that infinite loop with us. Scroll on back and start at the beginning. Okay. Okay. Great. Welcome back. Awesome. Listening. Sarah, did you just, just fart? fart? Shut up! I did. Sniff it. We're stuck in this room. There's oh, no air. Oh, there's God. no air circulation. Oh, she keeps doing it. <laughs> it's gonna be a great episode. I can't wait. You ready to talk about some murders? We're gonna talk about some murders, some ghosts, some bad things, know, some let's farts. First, let's banter. We didn't ban. I don't know. I don't want to gas you up. Ha ha! You mean any more than I already? But I'm bummed. <laughs> so, are you seeing any good movies lately? No. no. <laughs> I had to think for a second because the other night I actually went home and I was like, Charlie, we have like the night we're not hanging out with anybody. We're not doing anything. Like, I want to watch a movie because mm-hmm. lately we've just been putting on, honestly, Trailer Park Boys, uh, which I'm not mad about. But it's it's like a 20 minute show and we watch like five of them mm-hmm. instead of sitting down and watching a new movie. Yeah, we watch something. Oh. We watched that Euro, that Netflix Eurovision movie with Will Ferrell and uh, okay. Rachel McAdams. I haven't it watched it. It was really silly. It was two hours. Uh, the music was good. Two hours? You could have watched six whole episodes of I could have watched like Boy. seven. They're 20 minutes. But it was it was fun. It was, it was, I'm glad I did it. I'm not mad. You but sound, I'm not going to watch it again. Mad. I'm like, not going to watch you, it again. When you're mad, you get really farty and gassy. And, and I'm farting right now. pretty mad right now. <laughs> See, now you're the one who's doing it, but it's fun, right? Because I'm just trying to get ahead of See, the game. See, I'm editing, so like I might not put one in there, I- and then you just look like an idiot. <laughs> that was a silent but deadly. SBD. SBD. That's what they called me in high school. 
Law and Order SPD. <laughs> <laughs> dun dun. Boom boom. Nobody's called you silent in your life. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. And you said I was coming for you. Ooh, Did y'all me. y'all heard that? That is. Mm, I'll have you know, when I was a child, at times I was referred to as quiet. I was never. I was never a quiet yeah. child. Yeah, takes one that to know really one. More, it was me projecting, I guess. <laughs> Seventy, have you seen any good movies lately? I've been rewatching Thirty Rock, so oh, no. Okay. It's been a wild ride. I I knew this getting into it, but some of it ages very poorly, and some of it has aged just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, it's been fun to to relive this memory of when I, I wanted that. to be Liz Lemon, Ugh, and yeah. you know, moved to New York and. Thought I was going to live that life. Sometimes I think it's, I just want to be Tina Fey. See, and I thought for a long time that I was such a Tina Fey, and I read Bossy Pants, and then I read Yes, Please by Amy Poehler, and I was like, oh, I'm so much more of an Amy than I am a Tina. And I think I've read both of them, too, and I think I'm a Tina. I feel like, yeah, I feel like I'm more of an Amy. I, I see that. Like, there we go again. That's why we work so well together. <laughs> That's are you gonna are we gonna make baby mama? Is that what we're gonna do? Oh my god, can we please? <laughs> and I definitely want to keep isn't there a scene where Amy Poehler's like squatting in the sink? Like peeing in the sink and Tina Fey walks in or something like that? Probably. I've never you're, actually seen it. You're gonna do that. Oh my gosh, you have it? We should watch it together. I'll pee in the sink. I'll pee right here. Please don't I Eric pee in your mouth. No, I'm not into that. <laughs> Me and Val, I do. I say that to Val all the time. But I'm like, I'm not really going to do I don't want to do that. I don't like that. See, I say stuff like that to Charlie, and he goes, right. I'm like, Charlie, I'm like, I don't Charlie like be that. Into it. So I was like, no, he says no. he'll try anything. I'm sure. I'm putting him on blast, but he'll listen to it and then be like, I listened to your episode. And he's like, okay, now I will. Um, He said he'll try anything three times. Three times? Three times. He's a trooper. Isn't he That's precious? A you keep him. Isn't he precious? <laughs> He's he's great. We stand Charlie. I know. The, well, he's locked podcast. into a lease, so <laughs> I got him for at least <laughs> until August. You're stuck, baby. Here. Here. I was like, I told Val I, I want I want to stay at your house. I'm like, I want that house. I want to. Where wanna, we are. I want to rent like a, where, where you are. I want that space. And then Val was, after lucky. the flooding happened, Val was like, you still want to move to Germantown? And I was like, Germantown, Mount Airy, Chestnut, that's all uphill. It's uphill, yeah. Maniunk is where the hills start. That's and you're Maniunk right by the river. So you're right next to the river. Mm-hmm. Germantown is up above that. Yes. You get above all the fucking bullshit of Maniunk. Yeah. And our basement only flooded because it was shittily made. That's yeah, all. I was like, your basement floods when it rains real heavy anyway. That's it. Right? Like, that yeah. wasn't anything new to you. No, it yeah. Flood your it was basement. just more yeah, than it expected. Where we were literally watching the water current. Where we're just like, oh, Lord. Jeez Louise. But, you know. Yeah. Philly, you do still want to live out here. Philly are wild. Yeah, Philly I was like, yeah, do, if we're working in Maniunk, which we're going to see what happens. But, like, yeah, I was like, if we were both working in Maniunk... I had been saying for a while with Val working in the city that I was thinking about selling my car because Mm -hmm. used cars right now are really hard to come by. So you can sell them really well. And I'm not trying to turn crazy money, but I would love to like have a few extra. I'd love to have a little bit more and pay off the like not be in debt for that car anymore. I could definitely sell it for enough to cover how much debt I'm still in because of it. Yeah. And if we were working at a place that's like pretty close and we both worked at the same place, like. 
I think I could convince Val to be like, I'm I'm gonna sell my car. Consolidate Let's just turn your to car. one car. Yes. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Oh, it's a economical. Dream. Ah, I would, yeah, it'd be nice. It'd be nice. Well, well you put it out on the podcast, putting it out there. We'll see what happens. That's our banter, y'all. There it is. Thanks for coming. <laughs> oh, my, and I think my other banter is by the time this comes out, my oh, hmm, opening night yes. will be tomorrow. Yes, it will. Ask me if I'm ready. Are you ready? I don't know. <laughs> this is a week. We're doing it two, two weeks, weeks out. Away. <laughs> I hope, I hope that when I listen to this to edit it, I will feel a resounding yes. But in real life tomorrow, I have to be off book and I'm not ready. And then uh, on September 24th, Halloween Nights opens. So come check me out. Come to Halloween Nights. Come see your girl, Judy Mae Best, at the Speakeasy. Ah, can't wait. It's going to be so much fun. Great. Yep. My show opens this weekend. Stephanie's Project. Because it's not a show. You wouldn't call it a show. Do you call it a show? I don't know what I call it. 70s performance art piece. It really is. It will open the next weekend. I love just existing as Judy. It's just a, <gasps> it's such a good experience for me. It's all fun. So there's, there you go. Both of those weekends in September, you have plans. You have plans. You man. have plans. And then you know what's coming up soon. Good, 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 Guestoberfest. Guestoberfest. And there's clip. a sound clip because ah, Eric did it for Eric us. Eric made us that sound clip. Don't you love it? And, the, you know, I wasn't just joking with all the farts. I am becoming the queen of sound effects. I got a lot of compliments about my AOL chat room sound effects. So it good. went over very well. They were so um, good. I've been putting in the farts. That's just for me. But now Eric has told me, we're not implementing it this episode, but Eric has told me that there will be a way that I can have a, a makeshift a soundboard board. with my laptop. So um so we got to come up with some of the sounds that we want. I, so I still listen to Southern Spirits. I catch up every few weeks. And if any of y'all still listen to Southern Spirits, I am about to turn into a full Mitch and just like sound effects all the time. I love it. I think that that's really what's going to take us to the next level and I get think, us ready for our live show. I agree. Yeah. That's what we need. But this is me now. This do, is me now. Do it, Gene, with your soundboard. This is me now. Heard that before. This is me now. This is me now. This is me now. Let me have this. Well, I'm excited. I'm ready for it. It's going to so be great. Let's jump into it and get back to our regularly scheduled program. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Stephanie. Hey, Leslie. Y'all, Y'all ready, ready to talk about, about some ghosts? Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? So, I'm not talking about ghosts. Part two! I'm not talking about ghosts part two. Just disclaimer again, if you didn't listen to last week, which you should, because you should be listening in order. Yeah, honestly, what are you doing with your life? We fucking Um, told you. No, but we talk about murder a lot. We give a lot of content warnings, but the the murders that I'm talking about are especially rough, and like I mentioned before, all of them also contain sexual assault, but the DNA from that sexual assault is ultimately what led to these assailants being found. So I'm putting that out there. As I talked about last week, we are looking into the use of forensic genetic genealogy, which is taking the DNA from crime scenes, comparing it to DNA found from publicly listed sources like Ancestry DNA, 23andMe, and other services like that to build a family tree and link it back to the perpetrator. 
That is also used in combination with what's called genealogical phenotype, which is taking the DNA and coming up with what they think the person looks like who left that DNA. Those are used in combination together. And the crimes that I'm talking about are all cold cases that were solved in 2020. So some good in. things did happen in 2020. Some good things. Did some good. In some good things. So I have two more to talk about today. The one I'm talking about first is a woman named Betty Lee Jones, who was murdered in March of 1970 in Boulder, Colorado. Her body was discovered by two Department of Transportation workers near the Boulder and Jefferson County line. She had been dumped on the side of an embankment off of Highway 128. She was found bound. She had been sexually assaulted, strangled, and shot. Betty was an overkill. It's really a lot. Betty was actually a newlywed mother of two. She had just gotten married 10 days before her disappearance. Yeah. So it was known that she had been arguing with her husband for the past few days before she disappeared. Uh, A lot of the neighbors saw it. Some of it happened out in the yard. And on the day before she was found, Robert, which was her husband, was seen leaving in his car. And then Betty went outside and she was trying to flag down drivers, somebody to, like, help her go after Robert and, like, try and, you know, do whatever, like, make it up to him or settle it, whatever was happening. And she was ultimately last seen at 3.30 the day before she was found getting into a blue sedan. There were six suspects in Betty Lee Jones' murder. Of course, one of them was her husband, Robert, but Mm -hmm. there was no other substantial evidence to be found other than, like, people knew she and Robert were arguing, but there wasn't really anything else to link him. He didn't have any other cars. He just had the truck that he left in that day. Um, So nobody really knew. But everyone was pretty sure, like, whoever drove that blue sedan is who hurt. Is the one who did it. Betty, Mm -hmm. right. But nobody could figure out whose car that was or where that person came from. In 2006, the case was reopened, and the DNA from the crime scene was tested against all six of the original suspects. None were a match. Wow. So then again, in 2018, inspired by the discovery of the Golden State Killer, the case was reopened again, and the FBI used forensic genetic genealogy to compare the original DNA sample to those that were listed on public genealogy sites and build a family tree. This led investigators to a couple who had lived near Betty and Robert in Denver in the 1970s. The couple had two sons who would have been in their late 20s in the time that the murder took place. Oh, I was like, oh, my God, a couple did it? I know. I thought the same thing when I was first reading about it. I was like, oh, my God. Um, but no, it was it was found that like they the DNA that they had connected to those two people but it wasn't a match for them, but it was like led to their... it's somebody related to this couple, mm-hmm. um, to both this man and this woman. So their kid. Probably one of their kids. Right. One of the sons came forward. He was the only one that was alive in 2019, and he consented to giving a DNA sample to the police. He also mentioned the fact that they had a third brother whose name was Paul, who was estranged from the family. And he said he had no other information on on the whereabouts of Paul. Uh, His DNA proved to be a close familial match to the killer. So he was cleared, but it was proof that one of his brothers, and he had a dead one, and he had Paul, 
um, who he didn't know anything about other than, like, he knew Paul existed. Mm -hmm. And the DNA matched in such a way that we're like, that they were like, okay, it's a close familial relative. It's one of your brothers. So authorities were finally able to find out who the estranged brother was. His name was Paul Leroy Martin. And he died just weeks before the investigators found him. What? However, his body, which was interred at Fort Logan National Cemetery in Denver, was exhumed. And his DNA tested positive to match Betty's killer. Wow. It's believed that the two did not know each other. Paul was not one of the original suspects. But in 1970, he owned a blue Plymouth Fury sedan. Matching the description of the vehicle that Betty was last seen getting into. So what I'm learning is that if you just don't fucking know the person that you murder at all and then you move away, you'll they'll find you after you're dead. Well, and now we have DNA, so it's like they might find you quicker. But it explains like just how... I hate to use the word easy, but just like how easy it was to get a, to get away with murder mm-hmm. before like 1990. Honestly, it's crazy. Yes, and like you know, we talk we've talked about Ted Bundy before, and we're like Ted Bundy wasn't that smart. But what did Ted Bundy do? He moved states. He crossed state lines. He yeah. crossed state lines. He was killing people in. He was killing women in places where the law enforcement weren't talking to the people where he killed a woman. 20 miles away over a county border or whatever. But that was one of the smartest things that a killer could do was like, make sure it's somebody you don't know and then get the fuck out of Dodge. Like, get out of here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sucks how how easy that was for a very long time. I feel like to a degree, it's still still, I know. Sometimes I feel like it's still easy. I don't want to think like that, though. I know, I know. Don't murder people. You will get caught and you will die. The last case we're talking about is a girl whose name was Christine Jessup. She was nine years old, and she was murdered in October of 1984 in Queensville, Ontario. So on the day that Christine Jessup was murdered, she was home alone. Her mother and brother were visiting her father in jail, and her mother left Christine at home because she thought she was too young to, like, go to jail. But she, oh my god! Right. How much do you think that mom fucking regrets that decision? I'm sure a lot. I'm sure that that sucks. Yeah. I'm sure that was really horrible. Oh, for her. okay, all right. Christine was last seen buying gum at a local convenience store on her way to meet a friend at the park, and she never showed up to the park. Hmm. Her body was found three months later. <gasps> She had been sexually assaulted and stabbed to death. The Jessup family was convinced from the very beginning that Christine's killer had to be someone that knew her and the family's and the family circumstances. The family and investigators were very quickly beginning to look into a neighbor named Guy Paul Morin, and Janet, the mom, described him to police as a quote weird type of guy who generally just gave her really creepy vibes. Mm -hmm. Morin was arrested in April of 1985, and the trial began in January of 1986. His defense team pretty much immediately was poking holes in the investigation and the evidence. They argued that there had been misconduct and that the prosecution's witness was unreliable um, because they had a witness for a confession, but the witness was, like, uh, somebody who lived in the same cell block who claimed to have heard Morin confess, like, in... Oh, yeah. 
Uh, and he was like, yeah, I saw him. He said he did it. Like, I can have less time. I right? saw Morin with the devil. Exactly. So, in addition to that, a police officer had been charged with misconduct after it was discovered that he had swapped out a cigarette butt that was found at the crime scene. Ugh, fuck, you just ruined the whole thing. The trial lasted a month, and Morin was acquitted. Ontario prosecutors filed for an appeal in an attempt to retry Morin, convinced of his guilt. Morin's attorneys fought the appeal and again brought claims of prosecutorial misconduct and a violation of double jeopardy, but the DA was ready for a second trial in 1992. The second trial lasted nine months, which at the time was the longest Canadian murder trial in history. Wow. It cost taxpayers approximately $11 million. Oh my gosh. Morin was found guilty in the second trial and sentenced to life in prison, and he continued to proclaim his innocence. His legal team was preparing to appeal again in 1995 when DNA technology conducted concluded he was not a match mm. to the perpetrator. You are not the killer. Morin sued and was rewarded $1.2 million by the Canadian government. This also led to a judicial inquiry where further police and prosecutorial misconduct was discovered. Wow. Wiretap and interrogation tapes had been erased or lost. Mm. Important exculpatory evidence had not been turned over, had been misplaced or tainted, which I know about exculpatory evidence from How to Fix a Drug Scandal. But basically, if the prosecution has evidence that is contrary to their story, they have to turn that over to the defense. For example... If their argument was that it had to be this person because there was nobody else there, but they had a fingerprint that didn't belong to the victim or the person they were accusing, they would need to turn that over to the defense team. Okay. So that's what um, exculpatory evidence means. So they had evidence that also, like, was in Morin's favor that they never handed over to Morin's defense team. Wow. Forensic evidence had been mis- had also been misrepresented by the prosecution at the trial. All important revel- all of these things were important revelations, but they didn't bring them any closer to finding who the real killer was yeah. of Christine Jessup. In October of 2020, Toronto police used forensic genetic genealogy to build a family tree. While the Jessups had been wrong about who the killer was, they were right in knowing that it was someone who knew Christine. That was going to be my next question. Oh, Wow. So it was matched to a man named Calvin Hoover, who was a neighbor, and his wife worked with Christine's father. The families were friends, and their children played together. Oh, fuck. Calvin Hoover was not able to be brought to justice because he committed suicide in 2015. It's not satisfying. It's not. He, mm, I feel like. I'm sure a part of it was the guilt. He shouldn't. But he should have been brought to justice. Yeah. I was like, he shouldn't have been allowed to make that decision for himself, if that makes sense. I agree. Because he took someone else's life. He shouldn't be the one to make the call to take his on his own terms. And watched two trials. Of someone who of didn't, someone who do, didn't it. do it. And that man went to prison for a, for a few years. Wow, what a piece of shit. Until he was exonerated by DNA in 1995. Again, because the only way that they could use DNA at that time was just to like, it could possibly be this person or it's definitely not. You didn't do it yet. But that, he was found in the, it's definitely not this person. Wow. Wow. So. That's awful. Those are 
you know, two episodes, two stories this week, but three episodes, uh, three episodes, three stories last week's episode about cold cases that were solved in 2020 through the use of genetic genealogy. Wow. That's crazy. It is crazy. It is nice that they are able to close them. Yes. And in all cases, even though there was only one of them where the person was still alive and they were able yeah. to bring that person to justice. Yeah, I was like, our ratio is still not good. still really waiting on trial. Because I even was trying to find out, like, like about any changes as of 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, like, the last thing I could find was that he had been extradited to New York and was still awaiting trial. Well, hopefully he's found guilty and he gets his comeuppance. Hopefully. Jerk. But I, regardless of of the part where there's no justice and that sucks, I am glad to know that there was some sense of closure mm-hmm. for family members. Yeah, absolutely. That's the positive. That's great. And that's my story. There it is. You're sticking to it. I am sticking to it. What are you talking about this week, Sarah? Well. Besides farting. Did you just fart? See, I was going to... I assumed there was a fart going there, but it was going to be ambiguous as to whose it was. But I guess that one can be mine. That one's yours. But that one was definitely yours. She who edits just calls the shots. I'm going to make a fart that sounds like, Stephanie. Oh, I can't wait. I I don't know. I don't think I can do that. Maybe Eric will do it. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe ask Eric. You can figure it out. Stephanie. Sarah, what kind of ghost are you talking about this week? Well, it's not a ghost. Oh! It's not a ghost. It's a listener story. Oh, I love it. I know. So this listener story is similar to the one that I did a few weeks ago that I got from Shane, uh, who's our fellow podcaster, in the sense that it's not a listener ghost story, but it is a true crime story from this listener's hometown. Okay. But... You'll recognize this person. This is our social media friend, listener friend, Amy, over in the UK. Who we, you know, we go back and forth with her over social media. We do. We're we're real friendly. Yeah. So we love her. Thank you for sending this along, Amy. And uh, I'm just going to dive right on into it. So Amy said, you know, hey, I'm your international number one fan. Love it. You know, we I know we have a few other international high up there fans. So you know feel like you all like fight it fancy. out amongst yourselves. I know. I know. I'm like, oh my God, someone across this pond is interested in <laughs> us. And fucking Americans were the worst. I know. Right. And I'm like, oh, I'm so glad you don't think we're like the rest, the rest of, of them. them. I'm so Ooh. embarrassed by our public image. I know. All right. So Amy said, Your international number one fan, Amy. Basically, I know you have coming up real soon, and it came to my attention literally this weekend after seeing my grandparents and then mentioning this incident that I have a big motherfucking listening sto- listener story yes. from my hometown, Canuck, in the Canuck, Canuck. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. I should have looked it up. That's how we're going to pretend to say it. Here we are. uh, In the county of Staffordshire in England in the UK. Live in Wales now. Staffordshire. But uh, born in Staffordshire. Staffordshire. Now I'm self-conscious about it. And lived there for 18 years. Literally five minutes away from this murder scene unbeknownst to me. 
So I thought now would be the time to share this story with you, either to use in October or at a later date. And then I read this story from Amy and I said, oh no, I'm using this sooner because this is great. And again, these are stories like what Shane gave me that would have probably never come across my radar. Yeah. Because it's just, it, these are things that happen in smaller towns that are talked about by the people in the towns and then roughly ignored everywhere else because there's just, people murder people everywhere, y'all. Everywhere. So Hard to keep up. I said, this is fantastic. I can't wait to tell this story. Thank you so much. So, Amy, I told you it was coming soon. Here it is, girl. Warning on this, just like with yours, uh, it does deal with child death. So pretty grim. So, as mentioned... I was born and grew up in Cannock, which is in the county of Staffordshire in the UK. And in Cannock stands this beautiful 26-acre scenic woodland called Cannock Chase, a popular family walking spot, camping spot with beautiful trees, lakes, mountain bike trails, children's nature trails, and known for being home to lots of deer. I'm down with the cult so far. Right? And she sent pictures. It is gorgeous. Uh, Also, side note. Amy says, I actually got a tattoo of a deer antler on my leg when I moved away from home to remind me of home because of Canic Chase Woods. Mm -hmm. Do I regret that now? Stay tuned to find out. (laughs) Did you really say that? Yes. (laughs) I know. I love it. She attached a couple pictures. However, behind the beauty stands a horrifying murder story that actually sparked one of the biggest murder investigations in British criminal history and was referred to as the most sickening and notorious child killings in the Midlands. Get it, Amy? I know. I was like, shit, this sounds great. Twist that story. I know. She didn't really change much. She did such a great job. I love it. Guys, send me me my work done for me. I mean, then I'll just change it up a little bit so, so the teacher won't notice. She'll just add the fart noises. I'll add in some fart noises and it'll be like, I did it. Just kidding. Amy did this. All right. Known as the Canic Chase murders were the murders of three young schoolgirls that occurred during the late 1960s. In a trial reported to have received unprecedented public interest, Raymond Leslie Morris was eventually convicted for the murder of Christine Ann Darby, Margaret Reynolds, and Diana Joy Tift and was sentenced to life imprisonment. So, spoiler alert, That's at least a happy ending. But (laughs) here's what happened. On January 12th, 1966, the bodies of Margaret Reynolds, who was age six, and Diana Joy Tift, who was age five, were found together in a ditch on Cannock Chase in Staffordshire. Margaret Reynolds went missing on her way to school on September 8th of 1965. And Diana Tift went missing on a short walk to her grandmother's house on December 30th, 1965. And again, both of them were found together on the 12th of January, 1966. So unfortunately, little Miss Margaret had been out there for a while. 2,000 people had searched for Margaret in the hours following her disappearance. Did not find her. In addition to those two victims that were found in January, on August 22nd of 1967, a soldier who was a member of a search party found the sprawled naked body of seven-year-old Christine Darby, a mile from where Margaret Reynolds and Diana Tift had been discovered a year and a half prior. Christine had been enticed into a car by a strange man near her home in Walsall, an area not far from Cannock, three days earlier. 
She was an only child and lived with her shop assistant mom and grandparents. The youngster had left her home to play with friends, and she was kidnapped around 2 p.m. Police search parties were sent out to try and find Christine. More than a 1,000 people joined in on this desperate search. Witnesses in Walsall explained that they saw a man in a gray car who spoke in a local accent, while two others who had been on Canic Chase remembered also seeing a gray car that matched the same description. Descriptions of the gray car and Austin A-55 led detectives to question various locals, including Morris himself, who also lived across the street from the police station. Damn. Ballsy. The matter was reluctantly abandoned after Morris's wife at the time, Carol, supplied him with an alibi and confirmed that he had joined her in a shopping expedition on the day that Christine was kidnapped and murdered. The search for Christine also attracted unprecedented public interest. Makeshift police desks were set up on pavements in the local neighborhood as the search for Christine intensified. Days later, a policeman found the youngster's underwear in Cannock Chase Wood, and Scotland Yard detectives were called in. The grim discovery of Christine's body was made, as we mentioned earlier, on August 22, 1967. She had gone missing three days earlier. These three tragic murders of young girls were similar in that each victim was determined to have been coaxed into a car while near her home, then murdered after having been sexually assaulted. All three girls lived within a 17-mile radius of each other and near the main road that passes through the Canic Chase Woods. The manhunt for the murderer of these young girls was larger than that of the infamous Moore's murders, and it involved 150 detectives who canvassed and visited 39,000 homes and interviewed 80,000 people. And it was also the first investigation in British criminal history to use a facial composite to try and identify the murderer. So, weirdly enough, our stories are similar. Tied up in all kinds of ways. Tied up in all that. So, how was the man who lived across the street from the police station, Raymond Morris, eventually linked to these three murders? I know you were asking. I have the answer. On November 4th. Huh? I thought it was going to be a shot in the dark. Shot in the dark. Did he turn himself in? Did they catch him in the act of a fourth one? Or did they use DNA genealogical testing? It's C. It's none of, or D. It's none of those. Uh, on November 4th, 1968, in Walsall, a 10-year-old escaped from a man who attempted to force her into his green and white Ford Corsair car. This incident was witnessed by an 18-year-old who made a mental note of the vehicle registration plate. The police were called, who in turn called out the local vehicle registrations, but it turned out that the woman had mixed up two of the numbers from the registration. The police played around with the numbers, and they eventually located a local record for a green and white Ford Corsair, which was registered to Raymond Morris. Morris was arrested in connection with the attempted abduction. The police were aware that Morris, who had been interviewed four times in four years, had also owned a gray Austin A-55, similar to the one used in the abduction of Christine Darby, and said to have been spotted by witnesses in Canic Chase. He had been considered a suspect in Darby's death, but no further action was taken due to the alibi of his wife, Carol that she provided, stating that they were shopping together the day Christine went missing. 
A police search followed of the Morris's flat where they uncovered, get ready, pornographic photographs of a young girl who was later determined to be his wife's five-year-old niece. Oh, God. So he fucking did it. Scotland Yard detectives arrested Raymond Morris for Christine Darby's murder on November 16th of 1968, 15 months after Christine's body was found, which honestly, timeline, their turnaround was fast. Compared to, yeah, compared that to was the ones very we were good. just talking about. Oh, fucking America's a hot mess, so. Girl. <laughs> Carol Morris, Raymond's wife, would eventually become the chief witness for the prosecution and retract what she had initially told investigators about shopping on the day of Christine's murder. Because, Shocking. duh. On the 18th of February, 1969, Raymond Leslie Morris was found guilty of the rape and murder of seven-year-old Christine Darby, with the jury deliberating for less than two hours before reaching their verdict. He was sentenced to life imprisonment. Fucking good. Although convicted only of murdering Christine. Say, what about the other girls? Yep. He is considered the chi- the chief suspect in the deaths of both Reynolds and Tift. Despite a lack of sufficient evidence for him to be charged with either murder, the coincidences of sightings of his car at the s- crime scene are impossible to ignore, and relatives and victims consider him to be the killer. So they didn't charge him with it, but everyone's like, he did it. He did it. We're just going to say that he did it. Let's save that 11 pounds taxpayer money. Yeah, all that money and just be like, he did it. Additionally, we can't, like, sentence him to two lives because, like, he only got the one. YOLO. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> That's why they say that, you know? Because literally, this, you just got one. They can't be, like, life's imprisonment. No. I mean, people do get sentenced to multiple life I know. sentences. But it's like, what's, Justin, what's the point if you got him for the one? And Do you think if someone got reincarnated and they were originally sentenced to, like, three life imprisonments, <laughs> that their reincarnated self should have to do they that like time? They, like, wake up one day, they're like, oh, God. Oh, fuck. I, got, I have another life sentence to serve. Oh, no. I'm ready to die again. Let's jump ship. Can I quantum leap into another body? Oh, brother. (laughs) Additionally, after the trial, it was also discovered that Morris's brother had gone to the Canuck police station stating that he had believed Morris to be capable of abducting the two girls. Eventually, though, Raymond Morris appeared to be remorseless even to the end, attempting to get his freedom in 2010. He eventually died in prison in 2014 at the age of 84 after spending 45 years of his life in prison. Over half of his life was spent in prison. But it wasn't the full thing. At the time he woke up dead. I love Amy. She wrote that. Not me. I love it. At the time he woke up dead, he was one of the oldest and longest serving prisoners in England and Wales. The Canuck Chase murders would go on to gain lots of media attention and be included in notes in novels and films, as well as a book published in 1971 that compared and analyzed various English newspapers' handling of the case, plus featured a 2004 documentary televised on a British TV series, To Catch a Killer, with Chris Hansen's brother. So that's my unfortunate listener's story from my hometown. It is a doozy, Amy. Those poor girls. She said, Growing up, I had always heard whispers of something bad happening at the Canic Chase Woods, but I thought it was just ghost stories that kids would pass between each other and try and get a scare. 
I always remember as teenagers when my friends first got their driver's license, we would drive through the winding roads of Canic Chase Woods late at night to try and freak ourselves out. There were always tales of seeing ghosts cross the road if you parked up in a particular area. There's also a German military cemetery. Yep, that said that right. There's a German military cemetery in Canic Chase, so that was a hot spot to drive by in the middle of the night, too. It feels kind of sick that we did that now that I know the full story, but we were young. We had no idea. Alas, I never saw any ghosts myself that I can remember, but I did always feel really spooked and always had an unsettled feeling in my stomach whenever we did visit the area late at night. And now, at the age of 27, I finally learned the horrifying story of what went down there. I didn't realize it was such a big investigation or big story until my grandparents recalled it last weekend, and they remembered lots of details, including the fact that Morris lived opposite the police station, which is wild. So yeah, there you have it. Pretty grim, and I apologize, but it's a big deal for my small town. I hope you find this story useful. It would be cool to have it featured. And here's how amazing she is. It'd be cool to have it featured on the podcast if you choose to. I'm a huge fan. As you know, listen from the start. Preach. Everyone will tell you, listen from the start. So it would be an honor to have provided some content for my favorite spooky queens. I love it. So thank you, Amy. I love the story. Of course, we'll feature it. We there you did. have it. Now you're famous. And everyone else, be like Amy and send us a fun listener story. Tell us how much you love us. Amy, thank you Call so us much. Queens. We appreciate you. Thank you, Amy. This is fantastic. So fantastic. So there's our two episodes of child death. I love it. You love it? You should tell us You about listen it. to this. You listen to our show, and we want to thank you for doing that. Thank you so much. If you want to support us even more, you can do that by subscribing to our Patreon. We have $1, $5, $10, and $15 tiers. We also have merch on our website, Deadtime Stories with a Z, all one word, dot com. And there are free ways you can support our show, too. You can do that by emailing us, sending us your stories at deadtimestories at gmail.com, like Amy just did. Or, or you can make multiple email addresses, different Apple podcast accounts, and leave us a minimum of five five star reviews. That's like 25 stars right there. In it's a five so, star system. Oh my God, it would help us out so much. But yeah, as many emails as you have, log into all of the places where you listen to podcasts. Use your work email. Your work's not going to know. And give us five star reviews. And that'll yeah. help other people find us who we can berate and tell them to start at the beginning. Exactly. Don't you love it? Don't I, you love this relationship? I, I love it. Thank you so much for listening. Come see our shows. Come see me at Halloween nights. Go see Sarah and the Secretaries. I'm Stephanie. Do you think we gaslight our listeners? I don't know. I feel like it just hit me. Gaslighting, is that what you're going to call the fart you just did? I'm Stephanie. I'm Sarah, I guess. And this has been Dead Time Stories. Ooh, that was a wet one. That's what she said. Thanks for listening. Dead Time Stories is hosted. I'm not. And now there's going to be no farts. It's just going to be us saying things about farts. And then then no sounds. Okay, I'll just like forget that I was going to do it. Uh, no, no farts, only queefs. Dead Time Stories is hosted by Sarah Heddens and Stephanie C. Ferguson. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Remy Slackman. 